You're listening to the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. I'm your host, John Clark, helping you build a better business without all the overwhelm. And uh, I'm just kind of popping in here to give you a couple announcements and tell you what to expect over the coming weeks. Our schedule has been a little bit off, um, and that's because I just welcomed uh, my first Uh, my first baby. Um, It's a baby girl. Everyone is healthy and happy. It's a tremendous adjustment, as those of you who have kids know. And anyway, I'm taking the rest of the month of June off before we come back and resume um, uh, in July for this show. There's also a tremendous amount going on in the world. And first of all, I just want to say, I hope you're taking care of yourselves. Second of all, I just want to say that as people, but also as therapists, we have an obligation, in my opinion, to stand for social justice, to stand up against racism. And now is a time to have your voice be heard, to say something. Um, I'm not going to get this completely right, but I'm going to say something because saying something is better than, um, than saying nothing. I think it starts with, um, for many of us, myself included, doing some of your own work, around racism, understanding uh, your own biases, understanding microaggressions by um, having more contact with people who are not like you, um, by speaking up and encouraging other people, in my case, encouraging other white people to examine their privilege and to look at how they are using their privilege or not acknowledging it, right? And sometimes, again, our silence is a way of using our privilege because um, it would be easier just not to speak up right now. I encourage you to take even more action and infuse social justice um, into your practice, into the work you do with your clients, understanding your clients in uh, the context of the systems and society that they live in, right? Uh, Helping your clinicians bridge this gap and become more multiculturally aware and competent, offering multicultural trainings to your clinicians and for yourself, Um, And then taking action again in your personal life, having hard conversations with people in your personal life, Um, uh, signing petitions, thinking about how you vote, going to jury duty, right? And again, doing your own work, Uh, even looking at some of the biases within therapy itself and some of the ways that uh, our therapy models uh, can be rooted in a very monogamous kind of uh, um, uh, uh, way or or not monogamous, a homogenous way, right? Where a lot of therapy modalities are based in basically old white dudes creating, (laughs) creating theories of psychology, right? And that's really it. So think about that. And at the same time, again, um, do, uh, do what you can start somewhere. You're not going to get it right, but start somewhere. Um, and don't, uh, just put it on the shoulders of people of color to, um, to shoulder this conversation and to move this conversation along. So there you have it. Now, in terms of this show, this episode, so I'm away for a few weeks and um, uh, my team member Laura is basically putting together a, uh, an episode of kind of a best of. These are some of the most downloaded episodes in the history of this show. So I hope that you will um, enjoy them. I'll be back again uh, in July, but until then, you've got plenty of old episodes to go into and listen if you would like. Otherwise, take this time to take care of yourself, um, take care of your clients, and um, just hang in there. So that's my little announcement. That's what to expect. And um, without further ado, let's dive in.
Allison, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Um, how's it going today? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. What well, it's been a while since we've caught up. Um, and I know you're always up to all sorts of things in your in your in your practice and your businesses. <laughs> so I kind of know that stuff. Or I know what's going on on the internet and what I can see. But what else is going on with you? What's happening in your world? Ah, well, I just moved offices, and that's super exciting. Um, my husband and I are four days apart, and we both just had our birthdays. So yeah, happy just, birthday! Yeah, hitting thirty-eight. <laughs> Like a champ. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So as you know, my show is really trying to answer the number one concern of therapists, which is marketing. How do I do marketing? What is it? How do I demystify it? That's kind of um, part of my mission with this podcast. And there's so many angles to take on it. And I also like that every, I think every practice coach has uh, kind of a different angle or kind of that one thing that they really gravitate toward and enjoy teaching. So um how do you how do you look at marketing? What comes to mind when you hear that word? And and why do you think it's such a struggle for therapists? Uh, I think that the I'm going to kind of go backwards. Um, I think the reason that it's such a struggle for therapists is because they haven't um, framed it for themselves as a therapist yet. They're thinking about buying a widget. They're thinking about people um, pushing a message that people don't want to hear. Whereas I think of marketing as a service. I think of it like there's a client out there who desperately needs the right therapist for them. Sure. And it is a beautiful service for us to be able to be like, oh, hey, I'm over here. I'm here and here's what I provide. And I sound like a great fit for you. So come on. Um, and when you reframe it as a service to help your clients get the help they need, all of a sudden um, it feels less smarmy and fake and gross. Even the, that one part of, hey, I'm over here, I'm, I'm good at what I do, or I'm good at helping these people, I think is can be a hurdle for, for some therapists, right? It already feels yeah. like, oh, that's too salesy, or that's kind of self-indulgent. Um, but we've, we really have to kind of get past that, right? So how do you help people get past that? Well, I think I end up helping people a lot through imposter syndrome. Yeah, um, that's, that's people true. are so often comparing themselves to other people or they're feeling like they don't have all the information yet. Um, and, and like none of us are going to have all the information ever. So uh, one thing I do is look at the evidence that you're good at what you do. Like look at those client interactions you've had where the clients left and you've done like a little dance or felt like, damn, yes. You know, we've all had those, I think at least one of those moments. And if you can kind of ground yourself into what was going right. Um, I think it's also making sure you're marketing for an ideal client instead of like, yeah, I work with everybody. Come on in. Like that feels a lot more salesy than, um, you know, I help people who are in the throes of an eating disorder and feel like they might never find their way out. And I'd love to help you um, find your path. Like sure. that to me feels like, oh, okay. Like you do know what you're talking about. You can help. Well, I, um, I would be amiss if I didn't talk to you about networking and I put in, in the prompt for you, I put networking in quotation marks because uh -huh. I almost feel like we have to define that a little bit. A lot yes. of people will just like, oh, how do you get your clients networking? And I'm like, what? but with who and how, and how do you do that? And, um, is that really effective? Cause I see a lot of therapists, uh, especially in the very early stages going, I know I need to network. 
And so they're going to go on, I don't know, seven coffee dates in one week with other therapists who may or may not be really beneficial to them in terms of advancing their business or let's say becoming a referral source. So there's even this difference between chatting with colleagues or people who are in the same boat with you and might share your struggles, but they're not full either. They're not getting full. They, um, you know, they're not, they're not a referral source for you. Um, so I know you did this, this crazy networking thing <laughs> where you saw, I think it was 2000 people in 10 days or something like that. Something, <laughs> something like that. No, you just stood in, a, in, in like one place and had a line of people. Like that sh- does, that makes my, my 90 and 90 sound a lot less crazy. Um, <laughs> like, speed, like speed dating. Totally. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I did 90 networking dates in 90 days um, when I first moved to Seattle. Um, and and that's not something I recommend for people. Um, <laughs> so I want to throw that out there for everybody who just threw up in their mouth good a little. To, yeah, good to know. Um, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's if you are moving to a new city and you're highly extroverted and outgoing and super lonely, um, that's a great thing to do. <laughs> Otherwise, um, you can pace yourself. Um yeah. So I, I would like to kind of define networking as not, uh, the glad handing, yep. um, yeah. like going to a place where a million people are and wanting to hide in a corner kind of experience. Um, I would say that networking is, is building relationships with colleagues. So if you take the pressure off of yourself of having to sell yourself, then really what you're doing is you're going to coffee with somebody who may be a referral source for you and you may be a referral source for them, or you might not click and you might be like, I would never send referrals to you. And that's okay. You know, it's like dating in that way. Like it's not going to be awesome every time. There's going to be some duds. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, I think that if you take the pressure off and if you're strategic, because our time is really valuable, even if you feel like you've got way too much of it, I still want you to treat it as if it has value. So to be clear about who, who your clients are likely to go to first. So I work with folks with eating disorders and some of them go to therapists first and some of them go to dietitians first. And so for me to network with the eating disorder dietitians and, you know, the different States that I've started practices, those were always like some of my go-to people, my favorite Um, most effective, most bang for your time and buck people to network with are the people who have the same niche that you do and are full or nearly full. Yep. I I, Um, I couldn't agree more. So just to summarize who thinking about who do my clients go to first and then mm -hmm. who are the people that share my niche and are, um, and are full. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those people who's full and I have probably filled three people's practices to the brim and keep them full in town because I trust them. And if it takes the pressure off of me as a full clinician, instead of it being like, why does this person want to network with me? I'm like, Oh, thank God. Cause the people I've been referring to are full and I need to know, I need to know if I can trust this person. And I'm not, I'm not going to know that, um, just by their name or their reputation. Like I want to meet them. Well, and they're leveraging your marketing efforts in a way, right? Because people are calling you, but you're full. So you're sending them elsewhere. I mean, and when it works that way, it's great. It's obviously worth your time. It's good to have those relationships, but the key here is be, be thoughtful about the relationships that you're forming. Don't just, <laughs> I don't know, kind of like dating, right? Don't just date anybody. <laughs> it's like right. do a little bit of that research and, and a little bit of that um, preparation to figure out like, uh, who should I be spending my time with and what am I hoping to get from this? Yeah. 
And so I think that that can bring people to the next question of like, okay, so if somebody is meeting with like this ideal referral source, basically, like how do I get referrals from them? Um, and the answer is not to ask for referrals from them. (laughs) It's to show up, to be yourself, to get to know them, to see if you guys match up clinically, if you think about clients in the same way. And usually if you do, you're not going to have to be like, well, that's great because I have some openings. (laughs) Um, you know, you can just talk to them, let them know you have space if they ask, but they're going to keep you in mind if they're full or nearly full because they, like, it's a lot of pressure if you, like, I love my client population. And when somebody calls and I can't take them on, if I didn't have a good referral sources, I mean, I might have moments of poor boundaries and take on somebody when I'm already too full. Sure. Right. And that's not good for anybody. But if I have great referral sources, it takes that pressure off. Yeah, that is, that is critical. Um, so, and what about in terms of marketing, let's say with referral sources, people that are clearly referral sources, how do you, how do you approach that? So like, give me an example. Uh, you had doctors, <laughs> school counselors, um, right. Dietitians. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So with dietitians, it's, it's kind of like therapists, like they have, they usually have similar kind of setups, whereas doctors and, um, school counselors are, they have protectors, <laughs> right? Like sure. it's harder yeah. to get in to see them. Yep. So there's often somebody that you need to go through to get to them. So one of my favorite things with, I mean, if you know somebody who knows them, then that's an easy in. With doctor's offices, if you can, um, for me, it makes sense for me to communicate with doctors because a lot of my clients have some medical issues um, or may have medical issues soon as a result of their disorders. But um, if that's not your niche, and maybe your, your person has anxiety, but doesn't have medical complications as a result of that, you can still get in touch with their doctor and say, um, you don't have to name the person unless you have a release and it's relevant, but to say like, I have some clients who see you, I would love to chat about how we can collaborate with clients. Um, and it kind of gets you a foot in the door versus dropping by and being like, here's my card. Um, because those are most likely just to go into the recycling bin. Um, if you don't have an in of somewhat in some way, if your clients, if it's relevant for you to talk to the doctor. And I think that that's a, it's an important piece because sometimes old people will be like, will you sign a consent for me to talk to your doctor? And they'll use it as networking leverage, even if it's not clinically relevant. And I feel like that's not ethical. Um, but if it is clinically relevant, then having a good working relationship with the doc, it might be sending them, um, like letters with updates. I might be hopping on the phone with them. We tend to be pretty verbose and, um, people in the medical community tend to be used to kind of like, um, like 30 second quick updates about what's going on. So I would write down the major points instead of giving all the details just to be, um, conscious of their time. Just to highlight that kind of speaking their language a bit, right? It's the same thing of like, I don't know if you're going to network with uh, someone who works on Wall Street. You need to kind of speak their language. You're not going to yeah. slow down and use this really like therapeutic language and make them really antsy. So um, adjusting your communication based on who you're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't want them to be like, oh, God, Allison, I don't want to send her more people because <laughs> I don't want to have 30 minute conversations with her. I don't have time for, right. you know. Yeah. yeah, this is this is super helpful. Um, so. What else do you feel like is kind of missing from the conversation regarding marketing right now and in our field? 
Oh, that's a really juicy question. Yeah. Um, it's, it's super wide open. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that's missing is like the emphasis on going deep on very few things. Cool. Yeah. Um, and being really strategic about what those are. Like I think a mix of in-person and online works really well for most people. Um, so maybe you're networking and you're blogging like that kind of thing. But I see so many people burning themselves out, trying to do so many different things yeah. and feeling like failures. And of course you're not going to do it all great if you're burned out and burning the candle at both ends. Some, some listeners are probably, um, probably kind of, uh, um, smiling right now because I I've said something really almost precisely that, uh, recently. And I say it a lot in terms of, um, I see this overwhelm happening. So I, I recommend choosing two marketing strategies, right. And just try to get good at those. People are constantly trying to do too much, trying to do Facebook ads, Google AdWords, SEO, uh, in-person marketing. Uh, it, it's just, it's just incredible how the, the kind of pressure we put on ourselves and then we're spreading ourselves thin and being, and really not being good at any of these things. Um, right. and, and I think kind of how, uh, I, I think some clients t can be either too much in their head or too much in their feelings that we have to have kind of a blend of both and we have to help mm -hmm. them achieve that balance. I kind of, I, I kind of look at therapists in a similar way in that, some people maybe are doing too much in-person stuff and it's not going anywhere and they're not doing anything digital. Um, so I would say like, you know, find some balance with that, do a little more digital, maybe a little less in person, um, and vice versa. Right. So, f um, j just to have a balanced, um, in, in kind of comprehensive marketing strategy that isn't just one thing or isn't just one, um, one kind of medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, high five. I'm glad we're in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> a little osmosis for you. Right. Um, <laughs> Clearly it's the answer. I think so. At least right now. Um, well, so are, are there any kind of, uh, other concrete kind of actionable tips that therapists can take? Um, and again, my other kind of spiel at the end of most episodes is, all right, so you're going to hear a lot today. You're going to, you might be battling that feeling of, Oh shit, I'm not doing enough. I need to be doing more. I should, should, should be doing X, Y, and Z. Everyone else is farther ahead than me. What do you, what do you say to those people and how can they walk away from this, this episode today feeling like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take a small bite and, and, um, and, and kind of go with that. Yeah, I think, I think assessing where their strengths are before they make any choices around marketing. Sure. Um, I think that that can be, and that might be sitting down to journal about it, um, just because otherwise you're putting all this energy and effort into something that's not not a natural fit, right? And we've all been in those relationships. We're going back to dating again, right? Yeah. Like we've been in those relationships where we're forcing it. If if you're doing something right now that feels like you're forcing it, I'd really like you to step back and figure out why it feels that way. And if maybe it's just, you need to break up with this marketing <laughs> <laughs> effort that you're making. Yep. Um, and conversely, and this is the hard thing is sometimes we mentioned this earlier, actually at the very beginning, look how we come for full circle. Yep. Um, that's right. That's how we do it. Right. Like we're planting a lot of seeds with marketing. It's, I have never done something marketing. Well, that's not true. I have rarely done something marketing wise where I was like, <laughs> here's something I'm offering. And a minute later, somebody was like, I want it. Sure. Where do I sign up? Yep. You know? Yep. Um, so I think that that's something to consider that there's, 
there's some seed planting. So sometimes it might feel like you're doing a lot for very little, um, payback. And it's hard to see how that seed is growing. Yeah. So making sure that the thing you're doing is actually something that, um, isn't awful for you because if it's awful for you and it takes forever to grow, like you're not going to continue doing it. Well, and I think this is where you bring in, um, kind of the numbers in your private practice to mm-hmm. make decisions and look at, okay, I ran Facebook ads, or I ran a Google AdWords campaign, and hopefully you're already tracking how clients are finding you. But then can you look at how did my numbers respond based on this, um, based on wow. this new thing that I did, or how many clients have come from that doctor that um, I spent time networking with and bought, bought them lunch or whatever it is. So just like, you know, you can answer your own questions and, um, kind of mitigate your own anxiety about, is this working by, um, just really being aware of, um, what's working in your practice, um, based on the numbers. Yeah. And data can be so fun, even if you don't feel like a natural data geek, like (laughs) data and painting ceilings. Yes. That's going to be your new, your new thing. I've totally just like described myself as like a big old nerd and I, I'm fine with that. (laughs) Allison, thanks again for being here and uh, for sharing your wisdom. And um, I hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Laura Long is on the show with me today. She is no stranger to this show. She's already dancing on the other end. You can't hear her yet because she doesn't have permission to talk, but she's already dancing, making me laugh, all sorts of shenanigans. Laura is an LMFT in a private practice in Greenville, South Carolina. She's also coach, consultant extraordinaire at yourbadasstherapypractice.com. Put that in your favorites list. Mic drop. It's pretty much in mine. Actually, my browser knows that URL because you know if mm. I type it in, they're like, "Oh, we know exactly where you're going, buddy." Your friend Laura's mm. website. So that's that's Laura, <laughs> and she's back on the show. Hi, John. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I haven't seen you in forever. How yeah, have you been, you. and what have you been up to? Yeah, I miss you too. Oh. <laughs> Um, so we were talking about how I delegated my YouTube video and yeah, that's that what I was hoping we could talk about, like other shit we delegate and maybe we can give it. therapists permission to not do all the things. All right, let's do it. I don't know how to start that. Well, it started because we were yammering. Is that a word? I'm making up a lot of words. Yeah, today. yeah, right? no, that's a real okay. word. We were Thank yammering you. on together. <sighs> we were yammering on together <laughs> on Facebook <laughs> about, uh, uh, about, you know, having people do some things for you. And I said, I was, re- I was self-conscious that I have a cleaner and a dog walker. And sometimes they come at the same time. <laughs> sometimes they come at the same time. They overlap. And what are you and, doing while, while they're cleaning and walking your dog? Your um, what? Is that louder? Playing video games. What are you doing? Playing video games. Uh, <laughs> In the middle of the day. See, we're I doing know. a little bit of like desensitization right now. I know. Um, so yeah, I think that topic, like we started on yammering on about it because you were talking about how I had a designer come and do my yes, home office. Very I was like, I don't know how to do that shit. Yeah. yeah. So I had my dear friend, uh, Hillary from Hilly tree design who yeah. did my office here and I had her come down and do my office at home. And so then you and I were like, let's talk about all the, sh- the bougie shit we delegate and then like feel <laughs> weird feelings about Why doing do it. Weird? But at the end of the day, it's like, this is great. Like it's mm. good to have, 
like people who can do those things that you're not great at. Like we don't have to do everything ourselves. We have a bit of like a, what is it, like a martyr complex sometimes, you know, like having people do your billing maybe, or having a VA or an admin, someone to like answer your phones for you. Like we take on so much because this practice is our baby. And then we're afraid to like relinquish any control over it, but then we're kind of stuck. Well, it's control. Like you can't always answer your phone all the time. It's control. And sometimes it's also like, I just, I want to say buying things for yourself. Maybe is sometimes a problem for therapists. Like even just getting a yeah. new couch in your office that you like, or a new chair for yourself. Like the therapist chair is always a big one or like, <laughs> you know, something that I think mm -hmm. is a, can be a big scary purchase for a therapist, but sometimes we have a hard time either rewarding ourselves or like, yeah, mm -hmm. being like, Hey, I, I want that. Or, Hey, I've, I've worked really hard for that. Yeah. I think that's why part of why I really love that profit first system. Yeah. It can be a bit confusing if you read the book, but if you just like dumb it down, it's like being able to reward yourself mm. for owning and operating a healthy business. You get this certain percentage, like based on a few different factors, but like you get this percentage of money every quarter and you can do whatever the hell you want with it. And it's not actually supposed to be related to your business. Like it's something fun. It's a reward. And we really struggle with that. Like I know so many therapists who do mm. profit first and they still don't take from that profit account. Why do you think and I'm that like, is? that's the whole fucking point. What are you doing? I don't know. It's like, maybe there's a fear of like, well, when my practice isn't doing well, or if I start to fail, I can use this profit money to like mm -hmm. take me through a hard time, but they just like won't reward themselves. Mm. I, I like have to force them, like go into your profit account right now, empty it. It's the end of the quarter. Take it out. That's it. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think that's precisely what it is. Um, there's a, a therapist I work with who is quite likely listening, who had this very problem of like, actually, I like to kind of store money in my uh, um, my mm -hmm. business checking account because I'm kind of afraid of not having any. Or in fact, what what this what, what he was doing was, anytime he would have a, a personal like financial need, he like a, like an anxious one, or like you know the washer mm -hmm. went out or something, right? Or we need, I don't know something happened in the house or my kid, you know, lost a tooth or something like, um, I need to, I can go to that business account and pull out some more, pull out a bunch of money. And mm -hmm. we had to really dig deep into that because it was creating, I think a pretty unhealthy relationship. I said, it's the same thing if I were the employee of a company and I only got paid when shit was going wrong in my life. <laughs> Mm, you know what I yeah. mean? Like if, if I had a hard time, yeah, or, you absolutely. know, something broke in my car and I had to come to my, my boss and be like, listen, uh, my car broke down. You know, I need 400 extra dollars this week or $400 at all. And, and they're like, mm, we'll see. Yeah. They're like, well, I guess I'll give it to you now, but also, you know, stop asking for things. <laughs> so <laughs> I wonder if maybe just a lot of us, uh, either, have been poor or have felt yeah. poor yeah. in the past. So there's like, even if we're whatever successful means, right? Like even if we're doing yeah, well, we still, yeah, we don't trust it. Like we are waiting for the other shoe to drop. So, um, that's another, like, so I get all these therapists when I ask them about their goals for their practice and they focus so much on the caseload number they want to have. So like, I want to see 20 clients or I want to mm -hmm. see 25 clients. Like I want to be full. And I could talk all day long about why I hate that as a goal. First of all, it's a result. It's not a goal. Like your goal is something that you can actually do or not do. Mm -hmm. Like my goal is to 
blog X many times a week, or my goal is to finish my notes at the end of every set. Like those are goals. Like, did you do them or not? But like your caseload is a result of doing those goals. So anyway, neither here nor there. No, it, 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 but it Um, is here and there. (laughs) It is here. It's here right now. Right now (laughs) in this room. Um, But a lot of times therapists will talk about their caseload being a goal, but they're still in a bit of that. I don't know if we would call it like a poverty mentality or like scarcity. It's like, I've seen plenty of therapists make it to that quote goal of however many clients they wanted to have. And they're like miserable and burned Mm -hmm. out, but they feel like that's the only way. It's like, what do you think is a better goal? Well, I want, I want their goal. Like it's, it's important to know, okay, how much money do we need to earn to support our lifestyle? Cool. That's good to know. Uh, how many clients at what fee can I see to maintain or to achieve that goal? Like also good information to have. Is the goal the caseload number? I don't think so. Because yeah. you can't control that. Like, I can't control if I have 10 clients on my mm, caseload, 15, 5. I never thought I of can, that. I can absolutely, like, I can do things that can help generate more clients. Mm. Like, I can invest in a program mm-hmm. and I can go through the modules and, like, have an accountability partner, right? Like, you can do those things. And then at the end of the day, did you do them or not? Mm-hmm. That's a goal that you can achieve. Mm-hmm. But we can't control how many people call us. And yet that's the thing that therapists want. I want my phone ringing off the hook. Well, if your phone rings off the hook, first of all, you don't even know. Like, yeah. you, If you don't have systems in place to be able to maintain that, mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to burn out. But So in my mind, like, their, their goal is probably more, it's underneath all of that. So it's up to us to like peel right. back those layers. Because I don't think the goal is I want 20 clients. I think the goal is I want security or stability and let's peel back that a little bit more. Like what does that look like? And when did you last have that? Have you ever had that? How will you know if you have stability? Cause a lot of therapists will get to that, I don't know, 20, 25 client mark and they still feel that like fear that we were talking about that the shoe is going to drop or it's, it's not permanent. So you can have a full caseload, whatever that is. And then the phone doesn't ring for two weeks in a row and you're freaking out as if you were, back to square zero, yeah, square again. one, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're poor again. Cause the phone hasn't rung in two weeks. Like, it's wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. It, like it when, really when is. is the point of fill the fuck out? Yeah. When is that? So anyway, I don't think that your well, caseload is an adequate measure of success. And, and yet for many therapists, it is the goal or really the only goal. And it's just too granular, I guess. And, so you have to go a bit deeper. Um, and, and some, yeah. I think, maybe feel like I need to have 20 or else I'll just feel like a failure. Or I'll just feel like I'm, yeah. I don't have a full practice because I know my neighbor has 20 clients a week. And, you know, someone uh-huh. somewhere said I should have 20 clients. And it's like, well, why? I wonder where we learn that. Do you think it's like depending on the agencies that you've worked at? Like, where do we learn that a full caseload equals success? And unless you have a full caseload, you're a failure. Yeah. Like, where did we learn that? Where did we get that message? Is it, do you think it's like comparing ourselves to our neighbors and being like, well, they've only been in practice six months and they're full and I only have X amount of clients. What, like, what's wrong? I think you're probably right. And, and I, I think something like that. I also think having 20 clients, um, 
you know, I had 20 clients a week at that, at some point and, and more, um, that is a full-time job. So you feel like you're working a full-time job. And I remember very distinctly the first time when I finally had 20 clients as a solo practitioner in San Francisco, I felt guilty for not working more. I felt guilty yeah. when I started taking Fridays off and people would ask me and they're like, Oh, what do you, what are you doing? Why aren't you at work? Why are you freaking playing tennis? Like, you know, yeah. you're drinking beer in the park on a Friday afternoon. And it's like, uh, cause I built this business thing and I already saw 25 <laughs> people this week who were like really suffering yeah. and I bust my ass to and build I this thing. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, it was enough. And at that I point, you. yeah. <laughs> You were yeah. onto something because, you know, in, in grad school and in agency work, like we kill ourselves like 60 hours. Like that becomes our norm. Well, so when we're not doing that, if you're it's like I'm not being lazy. Or, or a college counseling center, they're going to look at your calendar and they're going to go, you're not full. We're going to give you four more clients this week, you know, because yeah. they're looking at per hour. What are you doing? So like, like we pray to God, you're not just sitting there for an hour <laughs> resting or taking an actual lunch break. It's like, so we yeah. need to fill you up that hour slot. And the other thing I think for therapists is that hour slot could be making money. So that hour goes by or a client cancels and it's like, all you see is that number sign. You're like, dear God, $120 mm-hmm. is gone forever. Gone <laughs> down the piss up. Yeah. Like this is it. This is yeah. this is how my practice starts to crash and burn. I I knew it. I knew it. Like everyone been everyone's been telling me it's gonna be okay. You know, it's like my my wife or my husband, my friends, my business coach, and I'm like, uh-huh. my this little friend called anxiety. It we've been having a private conversation, and it's been telling me this shit's gonna crash and burn really soon. Just see, and then you're like, this is it. It's like the stock market when things are going well, and oh, you're yeah. like you know, bye, bye, bye. We just assume it's like always going to go in that direction. And then when it starts going down, we just assume that it's going to stay down and sell, sell, sell. I think if therapists can get out of that mentality, they'll be a lot more relaxed and maybe change their definition of what success is because I don't think it's working Monday through Saturday, seeing 25 plus clients a week. Like I don't really, but that's like the measure of success in the beginning for so many of them. It's like, I want a full caseload. It's like, well, I want Mondays off and Fridays. Totally. <laughs> and I want ideal clients mm-hmm. who see me during the hours I want to work and I want to be 100%. home by six o'clock. Like, if I can manage all that and it's like, oh, and I can still pay all my bills and I can still like do things that yeah. are pleasurable for me. Yeah. Like that's success. It doesn't have to be Huge the number success. of clients in your caseload. You know, yeah. the this I have to comment on the stock market thing because it's a perfect example. Um, I've been more and more interested in the stock market and, and you know, uh, buying private stocks and stuff and following companies, you know, you can, uh, but, but you're exactly right that like a little thing will happen <laughs> or even this week, there's this whole t- tariff issue um, and the whole stock market responded by just crashing basically. A, a momentary yeah. crash. And if you mm-hmm. were to just study that every single day, right? So let's say, so I bought a stock recently, this company called Planet Fitness. Um, and just like all the other companies, the stock went down really fast all of a sudden. And if I were to just react to that because it went down for one day or for 24 hours, um, I mm-hmm. would just be called in this reactionary, this constant reactionary period of something's always on fire or it's about to be versus when I yep. zoom out, and look at the gains, you know, that are going to happen over the course of this year, the next year, the next five years, et cetera. I actually see that 
things are going up in value. It's just never linear. And it's the same with our business. It's the same with our revenue. It's never linear, but you zoom out and look at the whole picture. Um, So you you have to look beyond having a bad day in private practice when four of your clients cancel. And I know that hurts or a bad week when you get sick, you know, for a week, I know that really hurts. I remember those, those weeks, they sucked. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it, but you have to trust and you have to manage your money well, both personally and financially. That's the thing that's also become oh. clear to me that when therapists are mismanaging money in their business, they're usually mismanaging it personally as well. Um, yeah. or they're, you know, they're doing something kind of anxious in their personal finances as well. Well, again, because the stock market example, when their practice was doing better, when they had more clients, they assumed that that income they were generating was the new norm. Yeah. So they most likely, unless they're doing like a system, whether it's yeah, like yeah. you need a budget, have a first or whatever, like they were just like, oh, I made $2,000 this week and I normally make a thousand. Yeah, so I'm going to take that extra thousand and like, <laughs> now I'm going to go yeah. on a shopping spree. And yeah. then three weeks later, they only have like five clients and they're making $500. Yeah. And where's that extra 500 they needed? They spent it. So it's like, it gets them stuck in that. I think you called it reactionary. It's, that's the perfect way to describe it. And if we're focusing our success, on the number of clients we have, we are forever going to be reactionary to our business. I think one of the best things... Like you said, your caseload's never going to be the same. Yeah. and I think one of the best things you could do for yourself, I wish every therapist in private practice would do this, pay yourself a consistent salary, even if it's a bit lower than what you'd like to be making, Mm -hmm. and then pay yourself quarterly bonuses based on how well you did in that quarter that that's going to do a bunch of things for you. It's going to take you off of the income roller coaster. It's going to reduce your anxiety. Yes. You're going to have to be careful. You have to tighten up how you spend in your personal life, but that's actually a good thing too. And then what happens is when you get to the end of the quarter, you're dealing with that. um, Hopefully like you're getting a bunch of cash at that point and you can just deal with it four times a year as to what am I going to do with this, sit down with your partner or whatever and go, okay, this is the kind of bonus of this quarter. Let's do something Mm -hmm. with it versus I had a $2,000 week. We're we're going to Outback Steakhouse, baby. You know, like it's (laughs) whatever your thing (laughs) is. We're going to, yeah, we're going to Sizzler, (laughs) you know? Uh, So it, I I don't know. I just think it's, I, I think more therapists should do it. Um, and again, you have to think of treating yourself like your best employee. And I don't care if you're a solo practitioner or whatever. At a company, again, it's just brutal to be paid different amounts every single week or every other week or not paid for two months. Like it's just downright abusive. So why are you doing it to yourself just because you're the business owner? Yeah. So, and I would also advocate for you, having if a you bookkeeper don't do, do this profit, for you. Yeah. If you don't do profit first, you sure shit sound like you do. Because everything you're saying I is, believe in the philosophy. is what he talked about. And, and my bookkeeper yeah, yeah, yeah. is Profit First Certified. She's actually working with Mike Michaelowitz. So, um, yeah. And really, all you need to do is learn the principle. Um, before, and then you can figure out if you want to implement it or get, you know, set up all the accounts. I, I think it's a really powerful system and as much as yeah, the philosophy. Yeah. But I like the differentiation. I like the differentiation between there's what you pay yourself, that consistent amount. And you can just base that, unless you're, if you're brand new, it's a little bit trickier to know how much to pay yourself because you don't have any data but typically it's like what are your three worst months over the last 12 base your percentages off of that so you can pay yourself something consistently that's sustainable because if you make it too high then you're going to kind of screw yourself on other areas Mm -hmm. but paying yourself something consistently because you if you're a solo practitioner and you're seeing clients you are like the sole employee so you are working in 
your business seeing mm-hmm. clients. So yeah, you deserve payment. Just like if you were paying someone to do it, like you were saying that example mm-hmm. earlier, like you don't only pay your employees when there's an emergency. So you need to pay yourself something consistently. I also like the idea of that profit account because that's something that it's like above and beyond reward that you get because mm-hmm. you're also the owner yep. of the business. Yeah. So not only it's are you bonus. an employee, but mm-hmm. you, you're signing the checks. So I like that differentiation so that people can feel more incentivized to run mm-hmm. a healthy business. It's like, okay, well, I pay myself whatever, $500 a week or whatever the case is. But then every quarter, it's like, I get this nice check and I can do whatever the hell I want with yeah. it. And that's my reward for running a healthy business. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not reactionary if I have a bad week exactly, or a bad day and a few clients cancel. Like I'm not just it. reacting to the, to the number of clients I'm yeah. seeing each and every day. It's not like my measure of success isn't on, well, did I see five clients today? Did I, yeah. I only saw two. Oh my God, what does that mean about me? And my business is failing and I haven't gotten a call in a week. Like, no, chill. <laughs> zoom out look at the big picture we should make like a bookkeeping system for therapists okay let's talk about that okay don't steal our idea if you're listening right now coming summer 2020 (laughs) yeah with all of our (laughs) free time (laughs) so tell people how they can find you and and also how they can find your youtube channel easily too if they want to go there first Seriously, if people have been listening to your podcast and don't know, know how to find me, you. like I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's worth it. <laughs> That's the wrong attitude. <laughs> Speaking of bad attitudes, non-ideal <laughs> client. No, totally fucking with you. Um, so yourbadasstherapypractice.com. Um, the easiest way is just to go on YouTube and use it as a search engine That's and look it. up your badass therapy practice. But for those of you who would rather have like an actual link to go to, it's yourbadasstherapypractice.com slash YouTube's with an S. Perfect. Because I'm, I'm ironic like that. It's, it's so ironic. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thanks but yeah, for so being here. Time. Thanks for having me on the very last episode. We'll see you next season. The longest season ever. <laughs> we'll see you in the next season. Maybe a little shorter, but it'll be a, it'll be a season nonetheless. <laughs> All right. Bye, John. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And again, we will see you back in July for our normal programming. Um, Again, take care of yourselves. Hang in there. Keep doing great work out there in the world. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. Okay. Take care. Cheers. Bye.